Hey Phil. Hey Laurie. Now listeners, this is a special episode of the Super Betty Bros. We're recording this last Friday, um, before I've even finished editing this Friday's show actually, Phil. What a shocker, you're doing it all out of uh, sync. Why is that, Laurie? Oh, I'm so busy, man, and also I'm on holiday, so I'm off for a few weeks, but we've decided to pop in some extra shows for you so that it doesn't feel like a big Super Betty Bros void. Would you believe it? We actually had e- emailers get in touch and say, please leave us something. So here you go. Here you go. Welcome. Enjoy. Yeah, now, Phil, what are we covering in this special episode? We're going to cover Blade Runner 2049. Dennis Villeneuve has come in instead of uh, Ridley Scott and is doing a sequel 35 years after the original with Harrison Mm. Ford. Now, I want to say, Phil, because I don't know yet what it'll sound like for the acoustics here, but we're having to record this in a slightly different place, aren't we? And I'm worried it's going to be all echoey. I think, you know, needs must, and this is what we're dealing with, listeners. We're literally stretching our limitations it to is, the max to, to, to deliver. <laughs> we've really put in the hours this week, haven't we? We definitely have, and especially with Blade Runner 40, 2049. Yes, well, let's come on to that later. Now, Phil, should we just jump straight in? Oh, are we going to have a jingle? I think we need a jingle, and then we can go into it. Uh, well, yeah, just a, Okay, here we go. There we go. It's as if it's a normal show, isn't it? Well, sort of, yeah. We've got to make it a little bit packaged, I think. Something like that, yeah. Now, Blade Runner listeners probably doesn't need much introduction from us. It's an 80s sci-fi classic that was considered sort of seminal. It inspired loads and loads of people to make similar films. It's considered one of Ridley Scott's masterpieces, and it's an unusual starring turn for Harrison Ford, isn't it? Yeah, it's not like his normal sort of slightly charming, dashing rogue. He plays a much more serious and sombre uh, kind of down on his luck guy he plays an inspector of sorts a Blade Runner yeah when I was little Phil and people used to talk about Blade Runner that name conjured up so many odd associations for me because you might not remember this too but we had a CD in our house of film soundtrack uh, themes do you remember oh, yeah. that and Blade Runner was on there and it sounded so dark and mysterious and I was like what is this I'm listening to but in my head it was this amazing action like <laughs> F-Zero like super speedy film and it could not be further from the truth no it's basically a sci-fi noir isn't it yeah he's a hard-bitten detective down his luck as you say investigating corporate espionage stuff isn't he Yep, it's all centred around these things called replicants, basically human human looking androids. That's right. Who maybe or may may or may not have some sort of souls or ideas of their own and wanting to be free from the oppression of humanity. That's what the film would have you believe anyway. They get used for war more than anything else, don't they? So they take the place of real people in battles and, and colonizing fight. like far off planets yeah. and all that sort of stuff, doing jobs that humans wouldn't want to do. Yeah. And they're very miserable and they want to kind of escape that life and live their own little world. And we're not going to spoil that film for you, listeners, because it's probably worth having a look at. And I think we're going to be able to do Blade Runner 2049 without spoiling the original Blade Runner 2. I think so. I think there might be one or two very mild spoilers, but we'll try and stick to what's been revealed in the trailer, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, right. So as you say, Phil, Denis Villeneuve, fresh off the heels of his many touted nominations for Arrival that he recently directed and did. What else did he do? Sicario? Sicario, he's done Prisoners. Uh, I'm a big fan of his uh, direction and I think he makes interesting films. He's so hot right now. (laughs) He is so hot right now. (laughs) And so he has taken a crack at this Blade Runner sequel and it's fair to say expectations are very high. What he's done 
is set it about 30 years later. Yeah, I think that's right. The original, I think, was set in 2019, and then this is 2049. That's right. And we follow Ryan Gosling's Officer K, and then some other numbers as well. He is a replicant who is working for the police force. And you might think, if you've seen the original, how is that possible? And the opening screen of the film gives us the required context for that to be the case. Because while replicants have been very dangerous and required Harrison Ford's Blade Runner to track them down and put them out of operation, to retire them is the phrase, there's a new player in the market who thinks he's managed to iron out the kinks of the replicants so that they're no longer risky. And Ryan Gosling is a replicant in that job. Yep, he is the guy hunting down the remaining sort of inferior models. That's right. And trying to get rid of them. And that's his job. And he does it very well, it seems. We join him on fairly routine operations. He's tracking down replicants. I don't think it's spoiling anything to say that one of the first people he meets is Dave Bautista, fresh out of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, playing a very different Harry Potter-like role. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? He's this hulking great man who lives a quiet life, sort of doing a protein farming bug thing out in the fields of LA, believe it or not. And uh, he also has the most ridiculous pair of glasses you've ever seen. It's brilliant. Which I really loved. It really (laughs) really worked, didn't it? It's it's an image that really sticks in your head. Uh, But when he finds Dave Bautista's character, it's not a surprise that something is unusual about this specific case and it's going to set him questioning his own identity. It's going to set him questioning the ethics of his employers and these people who make the replicants and he's going to have to explore and discover a side of the world that was long thought to be forgotten is that about Mm. right Meanwhile, in the background, Jared Leto plays Nader Wallace. Is that his name? Yes. Yeah, I think like it is, that. something like that, who is the sort of big cheese who has decided to uh, carry on producing replicants. He has some sort of desire that he needs to create more and more replicants if he's going to see humanity completely fulfill its p- potential. He uses slave labour as an example and says all the great things in the world came on the back of slave labour. And he obviously thinks it's up to him to create a new race of slaves, which is kind of horrible. In the form of replicants, yeah. Yeah. Is that enough plot there, Laura, I think? Yeah, that's lots of context, isn't it? So we, ha- so with all that in mind, listeners, bear all that in mind while we play the trailer, which does a better job than any of the clips. Here we go. I thought you might be able to help me with the case. Any idea where I could find him? Your police plan on taking me in. I would much prefer that to the alternative... was built off the back of slaves. Replicants are the future, but I can only make so many. I had the luck, and he has the key. I think I found him. That's not possible. If this gets out, we've bought ourselves a war. You're a cop. I did your job once. Things were simpler then. What do you want? I want to ask you some questions. What happened? I covered my tracks. Scrambled the records. We were being hunted. By who? They know you're here. Do not know what pain is yet. You will learn. Bring it to me. 
this breaks the world. We have to go. I'm coming with you. The future of the species is finally unearthed. <laughs> now, Phil, honestly, I'm not really sure how to go about reviewing this film. Do you want to start? Well, I guess I want to highlight a couple of things. Okay. Number one, this has got Roger Deakins as the cinematographer behind it all. Recently Oscar winning. Yes, indeed. And a legend in the field. His visuals in this film, I personally think, are spectacular. If not a little bit Roger Deakins-ish. Fine. All right. It's got those sort of similar sort of vibes to Skyfall, which is his big thing that he did. That sort of big, colourful, but vaguely smoky environments. Yeah. A lot of dust. People are talking about how hot dust is right now in (laughs) sci-fi. They really are. There's an article about it. And uh, the city of Los Angeles is slightly different to how Ridley Scott portrayed it in his film. But there's still echoes of what returning elements you still got the atari signs the massive bits of advertising and i think for a film which is playing off some another film which was regarded so highly for its visuals yeah i think this film really does deliver on that front for certain it's really nice and striking and i couldn't help drawing parallels between this and ghost in the shell which is the other sort of futuristic metropolis mega metropolis that's been on the big screens this last year and it was interesting to see the similarities and the differences because one thing that's similar is the giant holographic adverts that are tiptoeing around the streets of LA or the you know unspecified city and Ghost in the Shell. One of the key differences that I really gave it credit for, and this echoes the original Blade Runner, is that instead of it being very bright and very open and you know dazzling lights everywhere, instead every aerial shot of this new futuristic LA feels uniformly dark, doesn't it, and enclosed. So there's a really wonderful shot right at the beginning with Ryan Gosling's patrol car flying over it, and all it looks like is grey sort of basically. tower blocks, but with tiny glimmers of light in between the blocks, which indicate that down on the street level, it's very, very bright, but everywhere above is a smog and miserable. Definitely gives a slightly different perspective from the original Blade Runner. Very clever, I think, yeah. Mm. And I really like the visuals. I thought that was a massive selling point for the film. They continue to be astonishing right the way through. Ghost in the Shell, it's interesting that you mention it. I want to come back to that, but not right okay, now. Okay, all right. The other thing to mention is the runtime. It's two hours and 43 minutes, and boy, Ooh. it is a long film. <laughs> it is so long. I cannot believe... How many times I had to go to the toilet? I made a massive error getting a Coke or a Pepsi. (laughs) You really did there, man. You should have known that one. But it's interesting because you and I saw it at different times and therefore we had different experiences. I didn't need any lubrics, Phil. That's how that went for me. But... I, it's the only film in the last two or three years where I, I literally couldn't sit still in my seat. I was fidgeting. I, act, I wanted it to end. And that's a problem, isn't it? Let's be honest. It is definitely overly long. And I think that's a real shame. But in some ways, I feel like that's a very intentional thing. Of course it is. And, you know, you haven't seen the original Blade Runner film, I don't think. I've seen it enough and seen enough of the famous scenes to feel like I have seen it. But like it's definitely slow paced, the original. Well, that's the thing. And I, one thing I thought all the way through this film is that Dennis Villeneuve's sequel here owes an enormous debt to the first Blade Runner because not a studio executive or editor in the world would have greenlit this project as it is if Blade Runner hadn't existed. Because Blade Runner, I, one of the things I was disappointed about when I finally saw it was that it, how slow it was. Actually, there's no action. It's not zippy. Even the discoveries come about at a glacial pace and it's way more about exploring environments and very slow, enigmatic conversations that don't make sense. And that is what this film is doing. The big problem I have with it 
is that I wouldn't have been fidgeting in my seat and I didn't fidget in my seat when I saw the first Blade Runner because even though things were slow, I was invested in the story. In this case, it just felt slow. It was like, how much longer can we make this tracking shot? How much longer and bigger can we make this establishing shot? How much longer can we have Ryan Gosling stare into the distance? Yeah, and I think that is fair to say it is a little bit indulgent. And I think it's... Incredibly indulgent. I think it's basically trying to evoke atmosphere at all times it's trying to evoke moods and i think the mood that they do hit is very blade runner-esque mm, let's come back to that you finish but i agree i think the whole film could have been about 30 minutes shorter and it wouldn't be the worst for it like so many films these days phil on mood for me actually my experience of this film was flat and i slightly disagree that it was trying to evoke a mood because it only evoked one mood and one emotion basically throughout the entire film and that therefore made it quite emotionless for me because even the characters despite the things they were getting involved in very rarely showed any emotion like ryan gosling plays it like a robot that is his job but it's still it's like i'm watching a robot i know there's some good eye acting moments i know there's some good hints of what's under the surface but you i think you must agree with me that overall even the story itself is quite flat there's not that's, really very I think much that's, there. that's where i disagree i think the story is actually pretty good there's a couple of errors i think what are the errors i think one of the biggest errors is how jared leto's character as nader wallace is pitched i think he is wrong he creates the wrong sort of atmosphere the wrong sort of mood do you think so the wrong sort of sobriety and sort of intense godlike imagination and ego that makes the whole film feel like there's so there's such a serious edge to everything that it feels like the city doesn't live properly. Right. It's not alive. And I think Ryan Gosling, I think, is quite good in the film in what he's asked to do, and he delivers it well. And he's quite... And like you say, I think he does do quite good eye acting and engaging you visually, if not with his actions and speaking. But I think his character just is too... There's too much empty space. Yeah. And actually, if they just trimmed down the film and had it exactly the same, the same sort of story beats. I think the story's quite good. I'm not... I, well, I won't agree with you on the story, and we can come back to that in a minute, but just on your point about space, I think it's really quite telling that he hunts down just one replicant in the entire film, and we spend so little time amongst other people in the world. I agree with you, the world didn't feel real, because we spend time in these gigantic rooms in which there is only one person half the time, whether it's Jared Leto, or maybe two people, or Ryan Gosling exploring. I mean, by his nature, his job takes him to the fringes of this society, so he's just never in the thick of it. And in fact, the one scene that I love the most, and it's one of the best clips in the trailer, is when he's hanging out just at a table in the street. And yeah, he's looking at some scene. photos and the, the, the girls from the shop across the way in quite, you know, intimidatingly walk towards him. It's a really good shot of those, uh, the women coming towards Ryan Gosling. They look very intimidating. Do you know the one I mean? I do know what you mean. And yeah. that was the best bit. And it reminded me of being in Berlin when they're doing the Christmas markets and everyone's kind of eating in the street. It reminded me of Ghost in the Shell. And that's when it felt vibrant and alive. And I thought this is taking place in a world that I believe in. It's taking place in a world where things, the stuff of the story would actually matter to the people in the world. And But that's all you get. It's so little of it. And then the rest of it is just these big abstract negative space experiments. But I think if they, if they were shorter, it, you wouldn't see it that way, I don't think. Possibly. I really don't think so. I think it just, unfortunately, the length of it means that you study everything and it's quite sparse by design. And so it means that you feel like it's empty when actually I think if, if it really just zipped along a bit better 
and was a bit trimmed down, I think you would have be you'd be singing a different tune, my friend. Okay, well, that's I my would personal love to, I would love to be singing a different tune. I think one of the f- big flaws is actually in the marketing. And listeners, if you haven't picked up from the trailers, this is now the big, well, the spoiler that you might want to avoid if you're a fan of the original. Okay, Deckard returns basically in this film, and I think knowing that upfront made the film feel tedious because you were just waiting for that to happen. You know he's going to appear. You know he's going to have a, a, a little meet and greet with Ryan Gosling. He's going to play a part in the story. And he takes a long time to appear in the film. True. And so you are literally sitting in your seat waiting for that moment to feel like the story has really started to kick into gear. And up until that point, you're sort of just thinking it's building to something. But I do like the little breadcrumbs that he follows and like how they started to link back to Blade Runner and things like that. I do think this film is not really a standalone film even though I haven't seen Blade Runner. I, I think if you went in not having seen Blade Runner, you'd, you'd enjoy it about the same amount, to be honest. You think so? Yeah, I reckon. It's interesting that there has been a similar thing to what happened with Alien Covenant. Warner Bros. have got a couple of little independent short films which mm, link all together. All over YouTube and social media. I, that's some digital marketing person saying, this is the way the future's going, guys. And then when they see how few people care, they might change their tune. But then you can watch those and get a little bit of uh, context to what's going on. They refer to a couple of events that happened in the past between Blade Runner and Blade Runner 49. And they might help you out, listeners, if you don't want to watch Blade Runner 1. Just before we move on from Deckard there, and that's Harrison Ford's character, listeners, I want to say that for a callback and a cameo and the whole soft reboot thing, I mean, this is he's just done that in The Force Awakens, right? This is one of the best callbacks an old character in terms of story i think i have ever seen even though i don't rate the story they definitely take an old character's reappearance in a different direction than you'd expect i mean if you're thinking this is setting up a new franchise it probably will surprise you in the way that his character is used do you agree with that yeah i do think so he is definitely a part of the story in a yeah he's not just an add-on so everyone goes i know who that is and it's a, it works as part of the story and it makes the whole story work and it's a cog, a key cog. And that's why I think revealing it in the trailers makes it less impactful and less useful to the story. Because they even prefigure it in the story, so they didn't need to do it in the trailer. As a story, though, in general, it is hitting all the same sort of themes of identity. Who am I? What's going on? Who? What is a soul? What is a person? And that, you've got to give it credit. It does <laughs> well, manage to extend that sort of narrative so and explore new territory. Are you happy with me to chat about the story here? Now, because I, I had a few phrases going through my head, and I think this is just a leftover from me doing those paper reviews I was mm. doing for a while. Because I was thinking, you know, if I was being provocative, Phil, as writers tend to Would you to call do, it Blade, uh, Blade Walker? <laughs> that's a nice idea. Blade, well, I'm trying to Blade Ruiner. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Uh, it's not that bad. It's just I, the, the sort of most provocative line I could come up with was it's like a perfect metaphor or illustration for the philosophical bankruptcy of the modern age, Phil, because it says nothing about anything. I don't think it says anything about the human condition. I don't think it elaborates on the existing Blade Runner's themes. If anything, I think it impoverishes the original Blade Runner and its themes. This is something that I think is a good example of it. In the original Blade Runner, replicants have a finite lifespan. That is a really, really big part of the original film. So as Deckard hunts down replicants, he realises part of the reason they want to survive and part of the reason they're behaving the way they do is that they discover they are going to die and they're going to die early because the builder designed them to die event. Does that make sense? So there's they a finite a... lifespan. Yeah. And then it's all about a replicant's like fight both to reconcile their own sort of experience of reality and everything else and the fact that they've been designed to die as well. And that's brilliant because that just reflects all of life, doesn't it? Actually, we are we are organisms that live and die and maybe we struggle with that idea and we struggle with identity. 
And the idea that in this world something's been created that also has a finite lifespan, that changes the dynamics from just, oh, here's artificial life that is obviously just a person pretending to be artificial life. Sorry, I'm going to get a little bogged down in all these discussion things. But this one, I just don't think it's got depth. Interesting. I think it's amazing how good it is relative to the fact that it's coming back to a franchise which is 30, 30 years, 35 years old and is all a slow paced sort of yep. thoughtful film, which isn't about action. I think fans of Blade Runner, I think, will like this film. I think you're right. But that's exactly my thing. If it had had the richness of philosophical thought, then the slowness would have been justified because it would give your thoughts time to catch up. Mm. But I think it's too shallow. So instead, it just feels slow drawn out indulgent a copy okay can i come back to that ghost in the shell thing that you mentioned briefly something which i found really interesting about this film though is that it has an odd sort of situation it's in because blade runner was this pioneer in visualizing the future in a new way an interesting way something which i found a little bit discouraging about the film in general is how much it felt like it was copying and borrowing from things i'd already seen okay and it was very strange to have the pioneer in one end now feel like a little bit the back end of new development so Mm. the fact that it referenced there are sort of very much visual cues of ghost in the shell in there the fact that his uh, character joy the uh hologram girlfriend partner that uh, Kay has in his apartment that reminded me of her there's that whole sequence where she synchronizes with a real person and i thought i've seen this already in her and that whole idea of what can you have a real relationship with something which isn't really there i think i've seen that sort of thing the the grunginess didn't seem as grungy as Blade Runner. The sort of oblique LA didn't seem quite as quite as uninhabitable as the original one. That's right. Yeah, that's very true. It felt a bit more spick and span, didn't it? And while I really loved the production design, I thought it was all really interesting and well done, and it had a gorgeous texture to it all. I think the visual style of Blade Runner and the people in Blade Runner was much more sort of out there. If you think about the replicant that he throws through a window, that sort of crazy 80s hair and everything. I mean, obviously it was made in the 80s, but I don't know why. I think it stands out better than this film will upon reflection. I think you're right, man. There's less iconic design here for sure. Which is a real shame because I think if they could have pushed the boat out, that would have been much, much better. Yeah. What did you make of Jared Leto? I actually didn't mind him too much, partly because I knew it was Jared Leto. I've seen him be the Joker and I was thinking, oh, no, what's he got for us this time? But I thought he was genuinely it was obvious that he was doing exactly what the director wanted. I mean, like that dialogue, man, I think something we haven't said. A lot of the dialogue is really bad. You've got to be with me on this. A lot of the dialogue was slightly muffled in bad sound design that's and true yeah 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 i wonder how that could be did you think it was perhaps swallowed up by the music at any point or not really <laughs> yeah it was i well, think that's, that's weird isn't it i wonder i wonder who did the music Hounds I the wa- oh really oh, i thought the music was quite really? good though yeah, actually i'm making a, i'm making a joke here um yes you're right i think the music is fine actually it, it's a nice adaptation of angelis and knowing hans zimmer's background um it suits him he's he's mr synthesizer so he's right at home and i thought it was very powerful i think it was overblown but i think the whole, whole film was overblown <laughs> but I do agree with you on sound design. But sorry, back to the script. I just thought lots of people had terrible lines. I thought Harrison Ford's character had some really bad lines. I thought Jared Leto had the worst of them all. Can you imagine getting that through the door, saying, this is your line? You had to talk about being an angel, like angels and stuff. It's like, what is this? I mean, seriously. But I think I could, that character could have worked if it was like the opposite end, rather than being sort of this melodramatic sort of God dreaming in the distance sort of character. If it'd been more like 
like a Steve Jobs type character. A bit boring. A bit sort of geeky and lame and sort of loving life and reveling in it and not taking anything that they're doing seriously. But the idea of like, oh, we need to do more, make more. We're going to be fantastic. This is the new more. Sort of overplaying it, being this sort of intense marketeer. Just sounds like Lex Luthor out of Batman versus Superman. (laughs) But not that sort of zany, like, geekiness, but instead more just the sort of loving life showman who says all these things sincerely, but in a sort of joyous way, rather than a super, super serious song. he's somber. gone crazy kind of... Well, both of them are, like have gone crazy. It's just that Jared Leto has gone in a sort of a transcendent way. Yeah, I think yeah. if it had been much more like human, it would have been much more interesting. Well, then I agree with you. So maybe his character needed rewriting, but I don't really think you can fault Jared Leto for that. I think, yeah, he did, play, I think he's play. done the job he's been asked to do and he's done it pretty well, actually. And I thought the whole cataracts... Oh, is that what it was? He was blind, I think. Yeah. And I didn't pick up on that at all. I thought it was quite clever. I thought he had some sort of enhancement or something. I think it's a good point because the rest of the performances as well... I honestly think it's quite hard to talk about them because there's just not that much required of them. I enjoy seeing Robin Wright. She's suddenly, you know, a career tough woman. <laughs> she, she was a Wonder a, Woman. She's Claire Underwood in uh, House of Cards. That's a big role oh, that's that broken right? her into the uh, I'm a super serious woman, don't mess with me. I liked her as the police chief. I thought she was pretty good. And if, and she had the most kind of life to her. Can I say that? I thought Jared Leto's assistant was kind of fine, but she's playing that sort of lethal ice robot queen we've seen a million times. What did you think of uh, Joy, the uh, program that Kay has following him around? Oh, I thought that was a bit tedious. I could have had her not in the film and I wouldn't have minded. Do you know what, Phil? It was actually... There is a, again back to the dialogue but just the construction and that whole shallow thing I really feel I wanted to laugh a few times because I mean I was rolling my eyes so much at that first scene when he comes home and we can hear this listeners I mean I don't want to spoil it for you but he has a sort of virtual wife I guess is that about it's like right? a girlfriend like her like in her but it's a bit weird it's a because it's like a 1950s go- housewife like she sort of makes him food and stuff oh, he doesn't she doesn't really but she sort of it's does. just somebody for him to talk to I think yeah and I just thought What's really annoying about this is that I feel like I can see the film's tricks straight away. Because if this was a self-contained... Tricks of the plot? Hold on, no, no. Fully realised world. Then Ryan Gosling is a robot. So, number one, why why is he made like this? Why is he made in such a way? Especially when it's a new model of robot that's supposed to iron out all the kings. Then why have they given him a flat? Why don't they just power him down overnight? (laughs) Why... Does he feel the need to have a housewife turn up and give him this stuff? And then why does he talk to her like he's really aching for her to be real? The, th- the thing is, it doesn't match up. He's invested all this money in this fake person around the house. He even, like, part of the scene is that he's bought her a new little toy. That so she's he? free from the, uh, yeah, the house. Yeah, exactly. You can go with so, him. And But it, you can see in his face, and his performance is obviously supposed to be conveying the disconnect between I really like this fantasy, but I'm aware that it's not a reality, and it's a kind of overall metaphor for Ryan Gosling's own journey, right? But I just didn't believe that he would react like that. If I had a personal assistant like that at home, I'd say, hey, honey, how you doing? Oh, I have, my day was great. Do you know, that's why he's bought her. That's why he has that thing in his house. But he acts like he's not convinced by it. Am I making sense or am I labouring this? No, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. And that's just laying it on thick. It's like he's trying to say, oh, but hang on a minute. What is real? And hmm. blah, blah, blah. I have a couple of issues. Now, this is where I think listeners will get in touch and say, oh, Phil, you haven't understood, blah, 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 blah. But I have a couple of issues just with the basic idea of replicants. And I wonder what you think of this. Okay. I don't get 
why if their replicants are dangerous and they have to hunt them down and kill them surely if they're robots and they're being made just make ones that don't look like humans and yeah. then you can spot them just make them green skinned or make them with a big r on their face this is the central conceit right and yeah. i don't get that why would you make them so that you can't see who they are i just think it's an interesting question because i've constantly found myself thinking why do they need to kill them what's the problem with them and maybe that's the thing they want you to sympathize with these replicants but then i just thought why is they've been why have they been made this way if they've been designed why do they need ears why do they need to do this what's the problem with them doing what they do yeah right and that's why the original film it was so much better that they had a finite lifespan because that meant they were aggressive because they were fighting to change that their inevitable destiny they were fighting against it whereas this film is like dave bautista could have just lived for i don't know he doesn't they don't even mention that he's got a finite lifespan Mm. and so that's why he's happy just being a farmer out in the middle of nowhere the other thing as well which is less to do with uh the idea in the world there's a couple of moments when genuinely i thought there's a little bit of a plot hole and i'm not normally a fan of plot holes can you hit me with it or will it spoil there things? is a moment where ryan gosling comes into conflict with another g- group or another uh, person and i can literally think of no reason why they would not just shoot him in the head <laughs> okay. and then the plot is over and the story's finished, and it's fine. But for some reason, they're like, we're just going to punch you in the face and walk away. Interesting. I know and exactly I think what you're talking about. I think that's really strange. And I think that's, for a movie which is, I think, generally quite well plotted and is about sort of breadcrumbs and following things through, in a world which seems to be not that fussed about murder, mm-hmm. as proven by other things in the film, yeah. why did they not kill him when they could? I think you're, I think you're right, man. This is I really genuinely think it's actually it's just not it's a bit of a thin story, but it is so drenched in like I said the debt to Blade Runner, the amazing visuals that people will just have to give it a free pass. And so far, people are giving it a free pass. The reception has been very, very good. What's your grade for this film? Can I just add in one more thing before <laughs> I do my grade? And I think these are sort of boilerplate things that need to be said. So it's a fifteen, isn't it? I think. Yeah. It's not very violent. It is violent, but not very violent. Like it's not grim, really, is it? No, I don't think it's a little bit like sexualized and a little bit of nudity, but, but I don't think it's anything particularly over the top. I'll, I'll come back to that, but I do think there are some distressing scenes. So there are scenes, particularly of re- uh, replicants just getting taken out, that kind of come out of nowhere, and they're supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. But I just want to say to any listeners out there who find that distressing, be aware there are some distressing things that happen. I'm thinking of a couple of scenes with Jared Leto in particular, right? Yeah. It's quite unpleasant ideas. But the other thing on the sexualization of stuff, I just thought, like, I can't wait to see people try and justify this in their reviews because even Denis Villeneuve understands that he's made a slightly boring film because there are boobs at regular intervals, aren't there, Phil? Uh, only two intervals. No, mate, more than that. Oh, I didn't notice them. I think this guy this guy just plants nudity in there at regular intervals. No, I disagree with you. I think they ha- they serve a purpose. What's the point of the giant pair <laughs> that I he think sees towards the end? There's a massive point. They could have made it any... They didn't need that. No, I think that is... There is a point there, and I will talk about it, but I think it's a bit of a plot spoiler, so well, I can't talk about it Well, we can talk, talk about, about it offline, now. then. But, um... I think that's unfair and I don't disagree. I, mean, and I think again, I like I'm being this film. But I think there's a little grain of fairness. I to my like comment. it. I like the film more than you. That's what I'm guessing. And so I think my grade is a B plus, I think I'm going to say, because I think the visuals are great. I think I really like the direction. I like 
the story. I just think it was overblown and it could have been tighter. There are a couple of things which bothered me, but overall I was, in- I was interested and I wanted to know what was going to happen. Mm. And I think the conclusions of the story, if you can stick it out, are worth it. Mm, I disagree on that final point. And Phil, for me, it gets a B minus. And that is because for so many reasons, I want to give it a B plus. I think it's a surprisingly technically proficient and committed attempt to, to do this. It's an impossible film to follow, but the commitment to it being long, to being huge, to being visually amazing, to being grim, to trying to capture the 80s mood. There's been so much commitment there. I really respect it for that. And I wanted to give it a B plus, but it's gone all the way down to B minus because it is the only film this year that I've thought, I really want this to just end. And mm. I've seen some bad films. <laughs> I've, I've found a lot of films. Maybe I've just got the bad end of the story. Like, I mean, I was having to shift my position because I was getting uncomfortable. I just thought, this is so long and it's not worth it being long. I am bored and that's sort of unforgivable. Listeners, if you have seen Blade Runner 2049, do get in touch with your thoughts. It seems to be that I liked it a bit more than Laurie did. So therefore, that's your plus ones and minus one cues. In case you didn't know what that was, by the way, that's <laughs> yeah. our little internal score of who's better at this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so give us, give us your plus ones, give us your minus ones to Laurie or I about whether or not you agree with us. Superbabybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at Superbabybros. And if you are a fan of Dennis Villeneuve, I check out Prisoners, I check out Sicario, I check out Arrival as well. Has he done a film where giant spiders turn up at some point? No, I don't think so. I think there might be him, but I can't remember what it's called. That rival, you mean? Uh, Anyway, check out his other films because I think he's a good director and one to watch. I think he's going to be doing big films for the rest of his career. Uh, They are quite intense, though, so be warned and check them out on IMDb before you watch Nice. Now, Phil, just before we close out this special episode, and thanks for tuning in and listening, listeners, we've got two emails. One of them makes me dance for joy. And uh, the other one's just interesting. So we got an email from... Is one making fun of me? Well, wait and see. We got an email from Martin, who uh, sometimes emails in as the other Martin. He says, At Superbelly Bros, utterly loved. Hashtag Blade Runner 2049. Beautiful, poetic, thrilling. Though I fear at Laurie Bailey 3, <laughs> which is my very not <laughs> Your used Twitter, handle. Twitter account, yeah, will hate it. Hashtag Zimmerhonks. <laughs> so, in fact, well, I interestingly, the Zimmer things wasn't the big problem. No, it didn't bother me, actually. I actually, I was really quite impressed by the soundtrack and I really thought it pushes it. It's kind of, ooh. It like takes I, the uh, the original and makes it modern and effective rather than sort of a clunky, yeah. weird synthesizer And I thing. really do think Hans Zimmer is the man for that job because that's his background. He really gets synthetic soundtracks. He was a, a backup. There was another guy doing the sound and is he that came true in. yeah oh, well i think they made a good choice i mean it did obscure the dialogue in some cases but that's kind of forgivable uh, for this particular film and now phil the email that made me dance inside i even took the trouble of emailing uh, this listener back phil to say how much i love this email and it's because i confided to Just you come on you. come on i want this is important part of it. i confided in you only a couple of days ago and you can corroborate this phil that i was feeling a bit ashamed for my comments on strange than fiction didn't i you were saying that you felt bad in case somebody was really enjoying the film. And, and they just it. heard me call it pretentious rubbish, right? Yeah. And I thought, ah, oh, oh, man, Laurie, you can do better than that. Come on. There's all opinions are valid. And that's totally true. So when I got an email in to the Super Betty Bros that was titled Strange and Fiction, I was sad because I thought that was what someone was going to say. Get on with it. Come on. Here we go. So Georgia got in touch and says, hi, Super Betty Bros. I'm a keen listener and I love your podcast. So I thought I'd finally write in. So, hey. Very kind. Thanks for getting in touch. You guys were talking about Walter Mitty in the last episode, which I actually liked since I just thought it was funny and sweet. But... Well done, Georgia. Just 
I really didn't like the film you were likening it to Stranger Than Fiction. Just what is that film? Who thought it was a good idea? It could have been made so much more interesting by having a nuanced author character or at least an intriguing book that she was writing. Instead, it is just plain dull. Actually, more than that, it's weird. It never explains (laughs) itself. Disbelief is suspended in something like The Truman Show, but not in this. The characters aren't likeable and there's so much more that could have been done with the film. I put it in the same box as Ruby Sparks, another film about a writer whose fictional character comes to life. Both are ridiculously pretentious and think that they're being deep, in inverted commas. As someone who works in the publishing industry, both films are so achingly stereotypical and not in a charming way that they just make me roll my eyes. Love the podcast, Georgia. Well, thank you very much for getting in touch. Is that is she criticising me for them? She, what I love is that she more or less agrees with absolutely everything that I yeah, said. Yeah, of course you love that then. Of course you love that. I thought especially when she said... You act all high and mighty, I... but all you want is praise. <laughs> you want to stand above your subjects and laugh. It was just one of those nice moments where I was really worried that I would have upset someone. And then you had and an absolute conversation. Completely the opposite. Someone said they agree with absolutely everything I said. Oh, uh, whatever. How whatever. great is that? All right. Well, thank you very much, George, for emailing in. <laughs> I think... That's a little harsh. That's all I'm going to say. Well, the thing is, you actually agree with several of her points, but you like, still liked it. Yeah, I think I don't. I don't get that sort of pretentiousness from all the cast. If that makes sense, I think there are some pretentious ideas and annoying things. But I feel like the character of Harold Crick is kind of relatively unscathed in that pretentiousness. Mm. I think he seems like somebody I would actually want to want to see succeed. And there is a sense in which he does. And well. Things. Maybe you should go and read the book, which there probably is. I'm sure <laughs> no, I don't think there read. is a book. No, there will never be because it's rubbish. <laughs> oh, Laurie. <laughs> right, okay. Tone it down. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Hope uh, we didn't ruin the best film of the year, which it clearly is for some people in Blade Runner 2049. But if you really, really love it, then just you've got to email us and tell us exactly why Phil and I are wrong. And if you've been discouraged at all, thinking, oh, Laurie and Phil, they always just hate all the bigger films, all the, the, the interesting ones. Often the interesting ones are the ones which you can really get your teeth into. Yeah, and there's lots of things to say. It doesn't make them a bad film. I think a B plus is what you gave it and a B minus. That's fair, isn't it? And I think as well, just as a parting thought, any film which you really get into your, get your teeth into, there must be some quality there, which we maybe aren't necessarily highlighting. Instead, we're sort of picking it apart. And that's because it's chewy. It's like a steak. You've got to digest it. Do you know what? One thing I forgot to say that I did really like, but I almost thought mocked the rest of the film was when Ryan Gosling's character finally does some action scenes. They were great. They were really surprising. Yeah, really punchy, aren't they? Yeah, but they were so quick. It was like offensive because then the rest of the film is so slow. (laughs) It's like when there's finally action. It's like, bang, 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 done. (laughs) Uh, All right, that really is it. Listeners, have a great week. We've got another sort of little bit previewing other releases to be out next week. And then I think we're we're both back in action, aren't we, after that? Awkwardly, we recorded the next thing before Before this. this. (laughs) So we made some comments, didn't we, about Blade Runner? This is all meta. It's like memento all over again. Eat your heart out Chris Nolan. But well, yeah, okay. check that out and we'll be back with you soon. Oddly, I thought Chris Nolan would have actually been good to direct this. Oh, shut All your right, face. Bye, everyone. Bye.